Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We do especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Stussel Smash the Milkman, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, JC, Megan Caruso, Mass Keaton, Andrew Laguori, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog, Thunderdome Gaming Society, Disc Chimera, Jenny E, Rick Firestone, Parallax Puddles, Keith Gasper, Dave Jackson, Eric Guess, Kayla Jackson, Nomad from the Retro Wildlands Podcast, Ash Events, and Alan Bingham. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the most recent episode of Retro Hangover. Gamers, welcome to the podcast where we lazily launch Lower Lemmings lovingly like lava. This is Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copleen, with special guest, Shmup Junkie. And, as always, your host, Shane. Gun Dick Head All right. So the question I have immediately, did our guest know that that right there was going to happen? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I can only imagine that that was just amplified by the fact that uh, you evidently are are listening back to us on speakers. Oh, no. Are you alone at home right now? Um, No, but (laughs) my door's closed. Okay, good. That's probably for the best. All right. It also cut out like halfway through. It was just like so loud and shrill that like my speakers couldn't handle it. It just stopped playing. I actually thought we got cut off for a minute. Yeah, that's we affectionately refer to that as Chris going to space. But fortunately, you can thank Discord for that one because (laughs) Discord's just like, oh, that's that's really loud. I should I don't think anybody wants to hear that. And they might be right. (laughs) But here we are eight years in. So somebody's listening. Fortunately, I mean, for us, we're doing okay. I hope so. We love you guys. Just kidding. Yes. <laughs> but hey, welcome to, once again, the Retro Hangover Podcast. We have Shane here, as we always do. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. For, oh, for well, I mean, you're welcome. I'm, I always like to show up to my own show if I can. It's it's an honor and a privilege that you do that. <laughs> we also have, from the YouTube channel, if you love shooters, if you love shmups, he is like one of the best ones out there. We have Shmup Junkie here for you today so welcome to the show shmup junkie so happy to have you here thank you and i'm more than glad to be here to talk about you know one of my early defining shooters as well so as we kick things off as we are want to do as we are want to say we like to talk about the games that we have been playing lately so we always start off with our guest and i'll kick it over to you shmup junkie what is what games? God, why am I like can't form sentences? Spoken all night tonight. Spoken word format. 
I know, right? <laughs> uh, so, SJ, what is the games that you've been playing lately? Really? Work on my grammar. Really? You know what? Ashton, leave that in. Yeah, leave it in. I'm, I'm, I'm stupid. What is the games, SJ? What, what is, is, what the, is games? the games? What is the games with the skills? That's right. Uh, yes. Honestly, it's, it's interesting. You know, I'm so busy now working on the channel um, and videos that I don't really have a lot of time to play games that are not the games that I'm already working on for a video at that moment. I feel that. So, you know, like the last, you know, video I did, which ranked like every Super Nintendo shooter made like 50 of them, you know, I was playing those, um, you know, for short periods of time. Um, But right now, lately, I'm mostly playing a game called Signy, which actually isn't out yet, but I'm playing like early test, like demo versions of it. It's something Konami's working on. It's their next uh, shooting game. And I'm doing some testing, some early testing for them. So that's one of the games that I've been playing. I'm not allowed to talk about it, but I am playing it. <laughs> Intriguing. I'm excited now. You you have my attention. Yeah. I'm also just kind of happy that Konami's still doing something. Oh, yeah. No, they are. I mean, they're getting back into retro in a really big way, which makes me happy. They obviously went off the deep end for a long time and had no interest. But <laughs> over the last, you know, at least couple of years, they've shown a much renewed interest. They've been releasing a lot of their older catalog. And like I said, they're getting new developers in and holding contests. Um, and Again, I'm not allowed to talk about what they're working on, but I know they're working on quite a few projects, some new, some old re-releases, things like that. They see there's money to be made in the space, so they're getting back into it. Um, and Signy's not a secret. I mean, you can look up the trailers, you know, you know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm not sure when it's going to be released. Gotcha. That's the main shooter I've been playing lately. Not a ton, but uh, some testing for them. And not really topic for this podcast but in the evenings i usually play something else i relax with my wife and the dogs and we'll like pick whatever's popular and obviously you know the latest zelda came out recently and my wife is a huge fan of breath of the wild she put in over 300 hours into the first game (laughs) if you believe it so obviously now we're spending a couple hours each evening playing that or at least she is until there's something difficult to be had and she passes the controller over to me (laughs) <laughs> to, to do the fighting and then i pass it back to her yeah that's uh that's interesting that's the same exact dynamic that my wife and i have with uh breath of the wild when we played that she was like i really like doing all the exploring and maybe some of the puzzles but then the really weird physics ones she's just like here you you do that and then any of the combat encounters with like the lionels or something she's just like yep here you go T- take care of that for me oh especially the lionels like oh here's a lionel take the controller <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly. We're <clears throat> we're holding off on that one because, well, she's she's a high school teacher, so she's trying to wrap up the school year here before she completely loses herself in Tears of the Kingdom. So that's that's a summer thing. So that's that's impending. But I've heard nothing but good things so far. Yeah, oh, it's, I mean, it's it's real early. We've only put like a few nights into it so far. We're like maybe two, three hours, like now maybe like five hours in. So where we've barely scratched the surface of it. I couldn't even comment on how good it's going to be, but so far it's, you know, very similar to the first. Nice. Anyway, sorry. It's not a little more exciting, you know, all these incredible new shooters I'm playing, but I said, it's, (laughs) if it's not a video I'm working on or something I'm testing, I not spending a ton of time playing other stuff that I would love to be playing. There's so many new releases that have come out that I want to be playing. I just, I can't find the time yet. If I want to play a new game, I have to decide to make a video on it and then I can play it. (laughs) Oh, believe us. We, yeah, we, we can empathize for sure. <laughs> All right, Shane, how about yourself? 
Oh, what about me? Uh, well, just coming coming off the, the the heels of that, I would imagine that there's not too much that I would talk about, but th- there are, there are a few things. So, uh, in terms of other fairly, I would say significant releases, I guess depending on what gaming sphere you you happen to be in, uh, a, a little a little game called uh, Honkai Star Rail released recently. So that's from the the folks that gave you Genshin Impact, um, that that might ring some bells if you're not intimately familiar with that. It's the folks over at MiHoYo. So I've been I've been putting some time into that one, and I got to say it's pretty good so far. I think I mentioned it on a previous episode because that's right when I kind of kicked off playing it. But uh, still enjoying it. It is so far it is a free to play game that for the most part seems to actually respect my time, which is unusual usually they like to just laden those things down with a bunch of repetitive tasks to make you do like an hour or two's worth of chores every day to keep up with things and i think they learned from their experience with some of their previous games and uh, paired a lot of that back that's been nice it's given me an opportunity to actually focus on the story more um which is actually pretty good the writing is decent actually it's beyond decent it's actually pretty pretty stellar so so yeah, again, if you know, I said this last time, but uh, if you're into uh, pretty high quality production JRPGs and you don't want to pay money for it, uh, you could certainly do worse than Star Rail. So that's really been the big thing. I, I did recently get into some Valheim with a few friends of mine. So we have been playing that together online. We've done that a few times over the last week or two. I know that's been out for a little bit, but I did not get into it at first because I thought it was just another survival game, and I'm not necessarily always a huge fan of those, but uh, this this is a little different. Um, I like the fact that it actually has a, a, a central purpose behind everything that you're doing, so that has helped to motivate me, and of course, playing with friends always makes everything better, so so yeah, been enjoying uh, a little bit of, a little bit of Valheim playing my, you know playing into that Viking fantasy. So that's, that's been fun. But uh, what about you, Chris? What, what have you been, uh, been up to these last few weeks? Well, I've been trying to play some more of East nine and I've been able to get a little bit in here and there, but my son has taken the switch hostage mm. because, you know, he is one of the many as previously mentioned already in this, in this show uh, that is playing tears of the kingdom. I can't get upset at him because, you know, he paid with it with his allowance. So I'm like, and he got good grades. So it's like, hey, you know, play it to your heart's content. I'll just wait on getting East 9 done. But uh, I know provided that update last week. and I said provide an update this time. East 9 is is getting a little bit better. In fact, I'm starting to enjoy it. The characters are really, I don't want to say well-developed yet because I don't know where their arcs are going to go. They're certainly more endearing. I'm liking the way that the gameplay goes with some of the characters more than I originally did. It's really starting to flesh out more. I don't like it quite as much as I liked East 8 so far. I don't think it's going to eclipse that, but it's it's definitely not sitting on my list of, you know, just strictly mediocre. I am enjoying it. Uh, In addition to that, I'm playing a game for an upcoming episode. I don't want to get into what game that is because I don't want to spoil that episode, but it's putting me to sleep. (laughs) <laughs> and it's on PC no, and I realize, oh, no. yeah, Shane knows what I'm talking about. I'm sorry I'm being vague, but I, I have to. I'm I'm deeply regretting not getting this game for console because I do think the game is a 
better play on a console just by playing it on PC. I am just falling asleep all the other all the time. And I don't know why. It's just I'm sure it'll kick up. I'll get into it. And the last game I've been playing is I fired up the Wii U while I just kind of sit back and watch my wrestling programs or, you know, YouTube videos in, in my office here. But I've been playing a little bit of Kirby Nightmare and Dreamland and uh, which originally was for the Game Boy Advance. I kind of knew that there was a remake of Kirby's uh, Kirby's Adventure for the NES. And that's what this is. And I'm having a great time with it. I won't say there's anything that really sticks out in my mind, but at the same time, there's nothing that really like obsess me it's just a really fun game it's kirby it just makes me happy like kirby does i feel like you could say that about most kirby games they're just yeah they are there they do everything right they don't necessarily do everything wrong but they they don't feel overly superb in my opinion but like they're comfort food yeah they're great comfort food video games and of course i played this game in preparation because why wouldn't i uh it's a, it's a great game to play and i'm looking forward to talking about it all right. Well, I, I suppose that uh, brings us to the point of the show where we should actually just get on with it and, and talk about the, the game du jour, which, as we've said multiple times now, is, in fact, Blazing Lasers. And, you know, I, I we, we tend to like to try to pass this back and forth depending on who, you know, has a more vested interest in the game um, or maybe it's just someone hasn't read in a while. But I, I cannot think of a, of a better person out of the two of us than Chris to to give us the the brief history of Blazing Lasers. So Chris, please uh please inform, educate the the fine people at home about the lasers that do blaze. The year is 2038. It has been 13 years since the AI Chiron 5 determined that humans were no longer necessary, swiftly crushing the Gunhead Battalion resistance, leaving precious few survivors in its wake. Indomitable as the human spirit is, those who remain have unearthed the remnants of a Gunhead and look to thwart Chiron 5 and its unknowable, coldly calculated plan. This is the plot of a movie aptly called Gunhead was released to Japanese theaters on July 22nd, 1989. You may be wondering why in the world we're talking about it. Well, as it turns out, it happens to be the inspiration for one of the best shooters of all time. To those of us in North America, we know it as Blazing Lasers. As was generally customary at the time for most PC Engine releases, development would be performed by Hudson and would start in 1989 to tie into the aforementioned film. But for this release, Hudson would enlist Compile, a group of developers who had demonstrated programming prowess well above their perceived punching weight. Compile's already impressive resume consisted of ports of some of the best-performing SG-1000 games for Sega, including the likes of Choplifter, Xanak, one of the better-performing shooters for the Famicom Disk System, The Guardian Legend, a top-down action shooter hybrid for the NES, and most famously for themselves, Alesta, also known as Power Strike for the Sega Master System, among other games. It seemed clear to Hudson that Compile was more than capable of handling a shooter for the PC Engine. The game would be directed by Matsumitsu Nitani, president of Compile, whose other efforts had included Zanak and the Guardian Legend, and would also go on to create Puyo Puyo. 
the game would ultimately deviate somewhat significantly from its theatrical source material. Most notably replacing the gunhead tank from the film with a space fighter. This would largely mean nothing to Western gamers, however, as all ties to the movie were severed for the North American port, since Gunhead would not seem a home video treatment of any sort in the United States until 2004. Gunhead would be released in Japan on July 7, 1989, almost exactly two weeks before the film hit theaters. North American audiences didn't have long to wait, as they saw the game land on their shores in November of the same year, which could be considered the launch window of the TurboGrafx-16, which had only come out three months earlier. While commercial reception is difficult to track in terms of sales, it received high amounts of critical acclaim, both contemporaneously and retrospectively. At release, Japanese magazine Famitsu rated the game 30 out of 40, whereas American magazine Electronic Gaming Monthly would give it a 31 out of the same score. Decades later, the game would still receive positive scores from digital outlets such as GameSpot and IGN, with many finding it more appealing than other shooters of the time period. While there would be no official sequel to Blazing Lasers, there are those that include it among the Soldier series of shooters due to similar gameplay elements. However, those games were fully developed by Hudson Soft and not Compile. Compile went on to refine the Alesta series to include one of the best shooters and most expensive games on the Genesis, Musha, as well as being the main developer behind the lucrative Puyo Puyo franchise until Compile shut down in November of 2003. And that is your brief history of Blazing Lasers. Right. Thank you, Chris, for that brief history. I feel like I know where this discussion is going to go because I, I, the two of you have not been unabashed or anything about saying like, hey, hey, this, this is a pretty good game. This is also important to me personally. <laughs> so maybe I might be the outlier in the rest of this discussion, uh, but that remains to be seen. But speaking of personal experiences, I don't know. What, what do you think, Chris? Do you, do you think... We should let our esteemed guests go first. By all means, yeah. SJ, what's your personal experiences with the, the game that is Blazing Lasers? Personal experience as well. Um, I think it's quite similar for any of us who grew up around that time. Um, since it released in 89, and I literally bought it right when it released, I was 12 years old, I believe, or at least I think I was. You know, coming from the NES, coming from the Famicom, it was almost quite a shock because... It was the first 16-bit console that I'd owned. Um, you know, I had it before I'd ever played it, you know, a Genesis or anything else. So, you know, I was used to playing, you know, good shooters on the on the NES, like, you know, Life Force and, mm. and you know, Xanak that uh, Compile made. But, you know, nothing kind of prepared us for what to expect. It was just on another level in terms of graphics and music and, you know, the lack of flicker and, and slowdown. It was rare to see something like that in gaming. So it wasn't so much. Blazing Lasers was kind of like the first experience. You know, you got it, you brought it home and you start playing it. And it's like, oh, my God, like, this is just like next level. And then you call your friends over and they come over and they're like, oh, my God, this is next level. Just that combination of next level graphics, music, performance, you know, for someone who enjoyed shooters, 
it just made me love them that much more. You know, coming from the NES, I can't say that I was a shooter fanatic. Um, you know, the NES was more of a platformer system more than anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all played a ton of platformers and we loved them. And at the same time, you know, I played a bunch of shooters because that's what we did and they were a lot of fun. But Blazing Lasers almost kind of started the love affair where I was so enamored with it. And, you know, I finished it and then I finished it again and, and again and played it on hard. And, you know, back then we didn't get to buy a ton of games. So when you got a game, you know, you played the hell out of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Because that's all you're going to have for a while. And it was enjoyable to play the hell out of it um, and discover all its secrets and, you know, everything else. So it was a combination of everything. I uh, just, you know, being wowed by its presentation, you know, it's not the same for someone coming in later that's older that, you know, has experience with other games that have been improved or refined or better. They're going to see it in a different light. For us, it was, you know, for me, it was one of the very first 16-bit games I ever played. Um, you know, our type kind of had that same vibe. You know, it was one of the TurboGrafx launch games. But something about Blazing Lasers was different. You know, I love vertical shooters. And it was so much more accessible, you know, I mean, our type kicked all of our asses and I can't remember how long it took me to finally, you know, ever beat that game, you know, legitimately on a turbo, but anybody could play blazing lasers. Right. So, and I think that's why it's so popular even for, for, especially for just newbie players, uh, because anyone can pick it up and have a good time with it and get to a certain point and feel like they can get farther. It was something compile was good at making games that were far more accessible to console players compared to most shooters which are arcade based but in any case that was my first experience you know it it was more than i could have expected it to be and because of that i have a lot of nostalgia for it yeah i mean 1989 i don't even think i knew what a turbo graphic 16 was i think most people in the united states if you look at sales numbers you know unfortunately it didn't really take off over here for reasons we have covered on our TurboGrafx-16 episode, just NEC America did not really know what it was doing in terms of getting the word out to to everybody. But fortunately for myself, uh, sometime in elementary school, I think it was in fourth or fifth grade, so sometime it was around uh, seven, eight, you know, seven, eight years old. We had a daycare sitter that we had walked to after school. Their family had a TurboGrafx-16 down the basement where everyone that would be watched for the day would hang out and. You know, just watch TV or play or whatever the case might be. One of the games that they had for the TurboGrafx-16, which, you know, looking back, it's one of those games that pretty much everybody have, wasn't Keith Courage and Alpha Zones. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, no, it was Blazing Lasers. And it was just one of those games that, you know, people gravitated towards. And this is before we really assigned genres to any sort of game. It was like, if a game was fun, you'd play the game. And Blazing Lasers was one I'd always always go back to a lot of us would always go back to just because you know it was fun it graphically it looked really good it was very accessible you could make it through a few levels just like sj said it made you feel like you could accomplish a lot and you could make it further in every single level uh later on when you know for one of my birthdays my parents would get me a, a turbo express with a bunch of games like as a kid i never owned a turbo graphic 16 i did have a turbo express but that was the next way i'd play blazing lasers and that was one of the games I keep on going back to, you know, among like Ninja Spirit and, and Street Fighter 2, because it had like this giant extension that looked really weird on top of it, but that I would go back to it and just like, hey, this is this is this game that I would play a lot like after school. And it was just like this warm comfort blanket of, of shooter goodness. And I wasn't even a big fan of shooters. 
because I was more in the RPG realm, as as many people understand, like I was big into Final Fantasy and a lot of the other platformers, like a lot of the more mainstream games of the time, like even when shooters were more like available back in the 16 bit era, I wasn't playing them. And this was like one of the only shooters I would even touch, Uh, not because of a disinterest, just because of a lack of knowledge. So really being able to to get and tap into this game and like it was just one of those games that was just like ubiquitous with with my childhood in terms of something I could look back on and and remember fondly, not just because like I played it a lot, because it was one of the games I can go back to now. And it's still like a, like something I really, really, really enjoy. So I'm curious to hear what your experience is just coming to it way later, Shane. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, the two of you have such such, you know, deep and, and interesting relationships with this game. And uh, well, I don't at all. <laughs> no, I mean, so I, I am intrigued, though, by a lot of the crossover from both of your your stories in, in that I would tend to agree with some of the points that you've made in, in my my personal experience with Blazing Lasers, because obviously, you know, that's been a lot more recent apart from replaying it again on stream in preparation for this episode i had played it prior to that and i for the life of me i cannot remember why it had something to do with the show and i don't know if it's just because someone in the discord mentioned it or if we were if it was an unofficial high score challenge before we like codified that whole thing or what it was but at any rate i had a chance to to play through it before this and You know, the more that I think about it, you guys are right in that comparatively, it is a lot more accessible, at least on the front end to more folks to, uh, you know, especially compared to to other games in the genre, because that's one of the things is like, in theory, I consider myself a fan of shmups. uh, And I say in theory, because for the longest time, I was just never good enough to actually play them (laughs) all that much. Like SJ, you brought up Life Force, which that game actually has a lot of personal significance to me because it was one of the games that I owned back in the day. I played it a lot. That does not, however, mean that I'm good at it or that I got far in it because neither of those things are true. (laughs) Even though I played Life Force quite a bit growing up, I, I don't think I ever got further than maybe the third level, I wanna say. Like I just was that game was brutal. So when I think about that and then I kind of, you know, size that up with with blazing lasers, you guys are absolutely correct. Does it put your nuts in a vice like later, like 100 percent? And we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. But at least in the beginning, it, it gives you sort of that sense of accomplishment because you're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And I think the other big thing, at least from my, you know, relatively brief personal experiences you know, just the, the, the varied weapons and that, and the, the sort of flashiness to it was something that I hadn't seen in a lot of, you know, contemporaneous games back at the time, even with something like life force, as much as I like it, you know, it was nowhere near the level of this. And so this is just on its own, you know, sort of plane as far as that goes. But, but yeah, I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't really have a whole lot of personal experience, you know, back in the day coming to it now, I think I think SJ was right in that, you know, there are some things that I see that I I take issue with as far as the mechanics are concerned. And probably if it had been something that I played, you know, when I was growing up, I probably would have much more easily overlooked those things or or rationalized them, I guess. But we'll get to that in a little bit. 
But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me, though. All these good stories here. I guess it's time to roll into the story itself of this game, mm. which it's it's it is a shooter. It's kind of there. <laughs> I just read the manual prior to the you know coming on here just to see what how it compares. And you know, surprisingly, it does mention that your your ship is called a gunhead starfighter. I did not know that prior to i thought all connection was severed but other than that is is it really a story here you're just destroying the evil bad ship it, it doesn't need to be i don't think so i mean the interesting thing about that and i i could be 100 percent incorrect and i am hoping that you know ashday or somebody will correct me if that's the case but like we, you know we talked about in the brief history how this this is based on the movie gunhead but i yeah i, I don't I don't see it like where, 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 where is that other than calling it a gunhead spaceship? Like the, the plot line of the movie seems absolutely nothing like what you experience here. Yeah. I think that they intended to tie it in with gunhead. It just mm. didn't work out that way <laughs> because I honestly don't see it either. I mean, back when we were playing it, we didn't know what gunhead was anyway. Sure. And I hadn't seen the movie. And honestly, now I think maybe I watched it once with a passing interest, just out of curiosity to see what it was about and what it was like. Probably have to watch it again just to remind myself if there's anything I can pick out of it that I could see in the game. But I really don't. Aside from the name and the tie-in, like it's just it, like you said, it's not really there, which is fine. I didn't really care or even think about the story at the time when I was playing it, or probably even now. Like, <laughs> no, not it's really. probably, probably one of the things that's easiest about this this section when it comes to games like this is you know it's just like, well, is there a plot? Technically, probably. Does it matter? Probably not. No, no. <laughs> not really. Yeah, there's there's a few you know shmups out there that do have really like cool, engaging stories and. Mm-hmm. And cutscenes, especially on PC Engine, because they love doing their cutscenes and, you know, yeah. shoehorning some story and some good, not so good. But Blazing was early and, you know, I don't think they were all that in. They knew they needed to make a good game and I don't think Compile was that focused on it. I know they used to be like if you look at Compile's other games like on the MSX and then mm-hmm. they had the power to do it. They did like to inject a good bit of story into their games, but that's not the case with Gunhead. Yeah, there's a lot of experimentation with shooters back in this time as well. Yeah, Blazing Lasers was just more of one of those, you know, straight shots. I don't, is that good for you? I don't know. <laughs> wow. <It's, laughs> I know. Um, I'm awful. Top tier. I love it. But when I think about it too, I mean, this could be one of those situations that I, I don't know how Japanese movie production goes, but, or, or how Hudson was related to it. Just could have been like, hey, here's the loose idea of the movie. Like, we have this tank. Cause I know, like, we have someone in our Discord, uh, Omi was commenting and he brought this up and like in the movie gunhead like the thing that is the gunhead isn't even a spaceship it's a tank right as we like even said in the brief history so i wonder if like they gave him a brief outline and then you know compile and hudson looked at it and like yeah we can kind of make something out of this and without even seeing the movie because i mean this game did come out before the movie did so they're probably just given like a very very loose vague series of events that the movie was about and they're like, yeah, let's roll with it. And then they, the movie came out like, yeah, whatever. Okay. I mean, our game's still cool. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, I do find it interesting and I, I would love to have been a, a fly on the wall during those discussions because I mean, you look at what we got here with, with blazing lasers and then you, you look at the, the plot of gunhead, the film, and you're just like, so did they just intentionally throw all of that out? Because I mean, 
it's not like there was a a technical reason or something they couldn't do it. I mean, it's not like a a tank based shmup is an unprecedented thing, right? Like yeah, like Granada. Yeah, you hundred percent could have done that. So I feel like if they had if they had the information at hand, I really feel like there were just two possible options. Like either one, they looked at it and they're just like, "Man, nah, fuck that. We're gonna we're gonna make space lasers because we do what we want." Or, I mean, the other option is I, I don't I, I don't know like. What what is the other option, really? <laughs> like I'm trying I'm trying to think that one out, and I just I can't for the life of me come up with it. I don't know. At any rate, at least we ended up with a good game. So so there's that. <laughs> I just have to wonder, like Japanese consumers, right? Like if they saw Gunhead, right, and then they were just like, oh, like that's a game that's based on that movie that I watched, and then they throw this in, and they're just like, I don't know what's happening. What what is this? Yeah, I have no idea how that how that transpired. I mean, I don't even know how popular Gunhead was or was not in Japan, so I don't know how much people care. Right. Yeah. It seems to have some sort of legacy, like it keeps popping up. I don't know if that's because of Blazing Lasers or not, but I I do see like people and, and maybe it's just corners of like the weird internet or whatever, but like I keep seeing it pop up for one reason or another. Yeah, I, it might I was be about to say, I think that that might just be a a side effect of us just being terminally online nerd culture people who are also involved in yeah. like the retro game scene i think, <laughs> I think uh, it might be a little right. more niche than you're letting on is what i'm saying uh, yeah probably but i guess you know it's time to get into what the meat of this game is all about it's time lasers? to get into lasers and lots of lasers Hell and yes. getting shot at by lasers but most importantly shooting at other things with lasers that is what you do in this game. That is why this game is, exists. And you know what? I I don't think we could have a better person on to explain this. Like the basic core tenets of gameplay. Like what's good, what what's slightly flawed, what their impressions are than SJ right here. So SJ, I mean, you, you should kick off the section. What do you think about the gameplay of Blazing Lasers? Sure. I guess, you know, when when I was playing originally at 12 years old, you know, we didn't think about it that way. I was just like any other kid and, you know, kind of amazed at what I was seeing anyway. So uh, like I said before, we weren't picking the gameplay apart. You know, the game was fun and we played it and enjoyed it and that, and that was good enough. Mm. <laughs> uh, an interesting thing about Blazing Lasers is that it's probably the first uh, one of Compile's first games that was so accessible um, compared to before. You know, it's not that it's not like that's what they were known for. The older games like Alasta, for example, those not not easy games. I mean, mm -hmm. if you just try to pick it up, it'll just murder you. Uh, Xanax wasn't an easy yeah. game. <laughs> they were tough. Sega wanted them to make them even tougher. I don't know if they went into it, you know, with the intention of making something a lot more accessible to get more new players into it or younger players into the genre. That's a possibility. But whatever they did, you know, it worked at the time. Um, and I think it's something that works both for the game and against it. It worked for the game at the time because, like I said, a lot of us were new to the genre um, and it was a great entry point for all of us. But looking back at it now, you know, whenever I replay it, you've got the first few levels that are really, really quite easy, almost sleepy once you know the game. Yes. It kind of starts off slow. You know, newer shmups have learned from that and, you know, they don't take so long to take the training wheels off because they know that it's a game that you're going to be replaying over and over and over again. And when you replay a game endlessly, you know, you don't want the first 15 or 20 minutes of the game or even 10 minutes of the game to be uninteresting or not easy or like you almost don't have to pay attention because there's really not much skill involved once you know what you're doing. 
that's kind of one of the long-term consequences of that and what happened with blazing um, where the pacing is a little bit uneven where it starts out very very easy regardless of which mode you're playing on and then there's a difficulty spike um, and only at that point does the game become more interesting and more difficult where you're actually paying attention and i found that to be the case so now when i play blazing lasers it's almost like a nostalgia thing for the first few levels i think it's cool because it's nostalgic um, but I can see how someone coming into it later would be, would feel that the balance is off. And that's a very valid point because it is a long game, like most compiled games are. <laughs> As you know, uh, Super Elast is even longer. So that would probably be one of my chief complaints, but it's got more. It's not so much what I like or I don't like about it, as opposed to, you know, looking back at it now, you know, you can say that some of the mechanics are a little bit wonky, you know, the way the screen scrolls back and forth to the left and, and when you scroll, the way the bullets move and almost kind of arc, not in a straight line, like towards your ship. I don't know if, Shane, you noticed that when you were playing and thought that was kind of odd. I did. I, I mean, I actually thought it was kind of cool. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and when we were playing it as kids, we didn't think about it. But now, you know, you look back at it from more experience and you're like, why, are they, why is it doing that? You know, and I don't care. Like I said, it's like it's, we're so used to the I'm just so used to the game being the way it is. It doesn't matter. You know, you've got a weapon system that is somewhat unbalanced, meaning, you know, there's early weapon, the, the most uh, impressive weapon in the game, the blazing laser, you know, weapon number three mm -hmm. is kind of a slow weapon, you know, and it's good in the early going and it's impressive and it's what everybody wants to use. But you quickly learn that once you get later into the game, it's not particularly useful, not the best weapon. And then you get other weapons that aren't very impressive looking at all. So you're not attracted to them or to use them. But they're actually phenomenal, you know, once you learn how to use them, like weapon number four <laughs> with the shield that spins around you. Mm -hmm. um, once you max it out to the top level, you know, it, it's you can practically cruise through the game if you know how to use that, if you know how to use it. But all that being said, um, core gameplay wise, it's really not that different, only slightly improved from what Compile was doing previously with uh, the Elasta games and Xanax, because that's what Compile did. You know, they took the same formula, they took the same backend code, and they would improve it, and they would improve it, and they would change it up again for the new game they were making, but they're not starting from scratch. You know, so they had a lot of experience making shooters, and that made each successive game kind of like a step up toward the next game. And you can see that with Blazing Lasers, you know, it's an improvement in a lot of ways to Xanax, not from the presentation standpoint where you have like distinct levels and more variety and better music, but from a gameplay standpoint can see what they where they were going with it but it still plays so similar to compiles other games the the way the weapon pickups work you know the temporary invincibility it has less weapons than compiles known for but if you're used to playing compiles games then it's like you're just picking it up again and you've played it before another thing i would want to mention is i really loved all of the crutches that they built into the game for uh, less experienced players that I and everyone used to initially finish the game without cheating, without codes that you stop using at some point because you don't need it anymore. Like the golden life mechanic where you can, you know, you've got the power-ups that are constantly shifting. And if you continue to shoot them, you know, eventually we figured out that it turns into this little ball and, you know, when you get it, it gives you the golden life, right? Right. And then when you die, you don't have to, you don't get sent back, you respawn. And that's extremely valuable. And then you could just collect them early on in the game when it's easy and, you know, set yourself up for the rest of the game with, you know, seven, eight, nine, you know, 10 golden lives or more. Um, so when you do get to that very difficult end game, um, which a lot of people have trouble with, it can kind of help 
push you through. You know, so the first time I played it, that extra 10 to 12 golden lives is what helped get me through the final stage because I still sucked at it. <laughs> um, but now, you know, yeah, I'll pick them up, but I don't really need it anymore. I know what weapon I'm getting and I can cruise all the way through the last level and not worry about it, um, regardless of what mode it's on. But it's cool that they did that, you know, like and all the little secrets, like when you time out the first boss and it's kind of cheating. And if you do that and you don't attack it or hit it, you'll all of a sudden, I don't remember how many it gives you, whether it's 14, 15, it gives you just a host of golden lives and a ton of extra bombs um, that you can coast. And you can do that with not just that boss. I believe it's the odd level bosses. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of ways to cheat in the game, but it requires a little bit of skill to do. It's not like a code that you enter. So that was a lot of fun, you know, so I like a lot of the things that Compile did with that. I think, you know, for all the complaints, you know, the things that I'm saying that were refined later and better in like the soldier games, the core gameplay is what still makes it, you know, such a good game and memorable because it still controls like a dream. You know, it's, it's a pleasure to move the ship, you know, the ship control and the shmup is extremely important. Oh yeah. And you always feel like if you screw up or you make a mistake in the game, it's you know, your fault. It, it didn't, the, the game is not particularly memo heavy, um, like an R-type or an image fight. The controls are not janky. Um, it gives you a ton of speed options so you can, you know, set it to your liking and change it dynamically as you play. It always feels like you're in control and it's fun because of that speed, you know, Compile was known to make their games with a sense of speed. Blazing Lasers absolutely shows that, um, similar to Xanak. And you're all put together it's not the perfect game, but it's not fair to judge it retroactively because it was like the first game. It was the prototype before Superstar Soldier, Final Soldier, Soldier Blade, and everyone else that copied it. You know, if it wasn't for Blazing Lasers, you know, even with some of the earlier janky, you know, issues with the mechanics, these other games would not have existed, you know, in the form that they are. In that sense, you know, it's it was a revolutionary type of game and what it brought to the table and everything else that came after it was more evolutionary and they just improved upon it and fixed the mechanics and made it better. Um, and that's kind of how I see blazing lasers aside from nostalgically, you know, for anyone that played it initially as a kid, they forgive all of it because they remember what it was like playing for the first time. And it was, it was a first, um, for anyone that comes in later. I know a lot of people on my discord that have only played it for the first time, you know, this year or last year. So their perspective is very different where they come in and say, yeah, you know, I can see how it was really cool and I like this and I like that, but man, this was kind of janky and man, that was kind of janky. And, <laughs> you know, it was, you know, now that I'm playing it, like it's too easy in the first three levels. And then all of a sudden it just destroyed me. You know, I coasted all the way to level to the final stage and then it just annihilated me in all my golden lives. So it's a product of its time. Uh, and that being said, it's, I rank it an S tier in my, you know, every PC engine shooter review video for a reason, because I try to look at it in context. And despite all of its warts, it still remains really fun to play for many of us who played it endlessly back then. And we still want to go back and play it. And that's a hallmark of a good game. A really great game doesn't have to be perfect. It can have all kinds of issues, but it has that certain something, a certain magic that makes you want to keep replaying it. That's what I value most about it. I think there's, it just has a certain something that Compile is good at that a lot of other developers, you know, struggle to find. Well, dang, I think in the many years of doing this show, I don't think a single other 
guest has ever been that cohesive and holistic <laughs> in their assessment. I am thoroughly impressed. I feel like we could just we could just hit the button now. I think we're done. <laughs> oh. oh, there's more. There's more to discuss. But yeah, I won't. I, oh, yeah, I didn't yeah, want to yeah. just ramble on endlessly. But that was just straight off the cuff. You know, it's like, what do you think of blazing lasers? Well, there you go. <laughs> well, yeah. let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I I am gonna echo some of those criticisms. I, I really hold this game in high esteem, as, as you know, you've already heard. But that first stage, like I've been just in preparation for this episode, you know, replaying it and just, you know, see where I'm at in terms of my bearings. That first stage, it just feels way too long. It just feels very sluggish. And that's maybe because I played that first stage a lot. As you get in a lot of shooters, you you know what to expect. But it's it's almost like drudging ingly slow. If I don't know. I said that incorrectly, but you know what I mean? It's just it it, it plods along too slowly. And for me, where the game really kind of kicks off and starts to increase that speed, starts to increase the, the, the way that the levels are designed, the way that the enemies come at you, the way that you start really taking advantage of the weapons that are offered to you is around stage four when you're like fighting all the brains and stuff, which I love that stage. It's an incredible soundtrack. Just everything about that stage, just I, it's incredibly enjoyable. But up until that point, like you're incredibly right, SJ, like the first three stages can either be too easy, easy to the point where you, you kind of are forced into almost a lull where getting through it just seems very formulaic until you start. It starts building up and ramping up. Yeah, I mean, at least the at least the yeah. third stage guy speeds up a little bit, you know, so it's a little more fun yeah. to play because there's more enemies coming at you, even though it's easy. It kind of ramps up a little bit. But the first two stages are yeah they're snooze fests once you know what to do yeah and they just go on for too long too it's like they if they shortened it probably by about 30 percent, i think they'd be a lot better more compact experiences yeah and compile never really got away from that too much i mean you go way into the future into 92 well, way into the future mm -hmm. you know super <laughs> yeah. last had has the same issue um to a degree you know despite being a really good game the stages are just very long and the game is very long they just, I think mm -hmm. they want to give the, the player, you know, a sense of worth because it's a console game. They don't have to make it short, like an arcade. And that's not always necessary, but so, I mean, the, I, that's one of the faults I do find with multiple compile games. I also go back to your sense of balance. You know, when I was a lot younger, I used to like weapon two, but recently playing through it, I, I try to avoid weapon two at all expenses. And this is, I think just a general criticism of all shooters is that a lot of them don't really make the base weapon all that good so weapon one is your base weapon and that's another weapon i i tend to try and avoid unless i just die and i just need something to pick up and that's what's available that's kind of a drawback i wish that there was an advantage to it now you can use your base weapon i i find that if you use the like, weapon one and you combine it with uh the f pickup full fire i think that's what it's called mm -hmm. then you can do some serious damage but that's really only something I found that I could take advantage of in certain situations. And, you know, that's a good thing, too. Like in the later levels, you can take advantage of that. But when I start getting to like level eight or uh, level seven and eight, uh, particularly starting in level seven, picking up the shield, especially for someone who's like middling on shmups, maybe mid low on shmups in terms of skill, such as myself, shield seems to be like the definitive pick. It's because you can just kind of you know, not have to worry about how much you're being abused. And the bosses themselves have pretty easy patterns. 
So even if you get to the boss with a shield, which expires, uh, you can get through the boss with a pea shooter relatively easily if you know what you're doing. The shield is very advantageous. The blazing lasers, you said, yeah, it's slow, but if you pick that up with full fire, you pick full fire up twice. I don't know if that matters because some of them don't matter and some of them do. But if you have a fully leveled up like three with a full fire, you can really use that to your advantage. Uh, but I do agree with you. Like if you know how to use four, four is incredible. But also, if you happen to die with four starting back up oh, yeah. is, is very punishing. Yeah. So you have to be good with four in order to take full advantage of it. Whereas opposed to three, if you get knocked down, if you get hit and your hitbox does expand with the more pickups you get, which, you know, that that it's kind of a give and take there. But if you get knocked back down to the base level with like weapon three, you can survive for a little bit longer. Uh, granted, you know, based off your experience level, of course. So that's where I see the balance. But like the secondary weapons that you have, because you do have primary and secondary weapons more for listener here. You have like full fire, multi-body shield and homing missiles. Homing missiles, I, I could take or leave. I tend to avoid them. Multi-body is very good in the beginning. Uh, shield, like I said, is invaluable, especially in the bubble level, which I found like as I was just playing, I was able to avoid it. I finally figured out what it was supposed to be. Maybe I can figure it out someday in Star Parodier. <laughs> in terms of what's what's the other one? Shield. Yeah, very invaluable to me. But uh, full fire, like managing those was really seemed to be the key of the game and just swapping it out and figuring out which weapon fit the situation best. Unfortunately, the further I went, I just realized three and four are the, really the only two weapons you really need to care about. Uh, I wish there was a better sense of balance, but that's that's mostly late game stuff uh, as opposed to early game stuff. And I do agree, like those golden lives are invaluable learning how to get them. And especially another advantage to that, too, is if you're not shooting them constantly, if you let them drop all the way to the bottom of the screen, they turn into the glowing orb and you can get your golden life that way. That's something cool. So if you you're able to get those green like robotic things that come down towards the bottom of the screen, you hit them at the bottom of the screen, you can get that orb coming back up more relatively easily than than shooting it where it's more of a distraction while you're trying to you know crowd control all the other enemies but like we've been saying the accessibility and just the introduction and making you feel like you're learning consistently there's very few shooters of that era and even more so like i would even say like throughout shooters in that time period with a few exceptions that really were that you know friendly to to beginners because like you said, like Power Strike, even with Compile, like I can't I can't play Power Strike. Like I, I run away immediately. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I don't. I'm, I'm dying. Like, screw this. And even UN Squadron, like it's like UN Squadron's another game that's fairly accessible. But I, I feel like there's just more complexities to a game like this where it's very, you know, non-complex. And then you have your classics like R-Type. And that's just it's kicking you in the balls repeatedly. So. Like this is this is kind of a very nice balance. And it's because probably because it's that console experience, kind of like what you see out of a Streets of Rage or Streets of Rage 2, where it's developed for that home market and it's not focused on just, hey, here's the arcade. We're trying to get all your quarters. Yeah, it prolongs the experience probably a little bit longer than it should once you get really good at it. But it's the getting to really good at it that is is really part of that experience as well. So once you are, you're getting that 45 minutes to an hour. Shane. <laughs> man, I don't know. Where do I jump in? Uh, no. So yeah. So man, yeah, I think between the two of you, you covered quite a bit. So a as the, as the person who is coming to this uh, later in life, I, I will say that 
I uh, I happen to appreciate the first few levels uh, being a little bit easier. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I can totally see what you're saying, though, is if this is something that, you know, if, if this is your Contra 3, which is my game that I played to death growing up and I'm unreasonably good at, it's, it's one of the very few, then yeah, I, I can absolutely see why that would just be like a slog after a while. But for me, being someone who is both new to blazing lasers, relatively speaking, and also as someone who is generally maybe not the best at shmups, I appreciated the, you know, the the training wheels for the first few levels. I, I will say, though, that I think I think the criticism is fair that it kind of just like slaps you right upside the head come like level four or so, because it's a very stark difference and and also i would tend to agree that the the shield is really what got me through that the or at least the first part of the that level with the bubbles like that that's the thing with that level right is like if you can get through that first part that's brutal but once you get through that it becomes noticeably easier you know truth be told even though i kind of preface this a little bit i think at the you know towards the the outset of the episode that I was going to be like the one dissenting voice or whatever. Honestly, that's not really the case. I, I don't really have that many legitimate gripes with it. I tend to agree with pretty much everything that you guys have said as far as the, you know, what blazing lasers brings to the proverbial table. Um, I enjoyed my time with it. I mean, I will say it is definitely supremely frustrating at points, but I mean, what good, you know, shmup isn't, I guess it's, they're difficult for a reason. And, you know, but the <laughs> this clip from the stream definitely proves that I was yelling <laughs> at the missiles for a little bit there. I, I might have gone a little bit off the reservation for a bit, but that's OK. But yeah, I mean, it's funny because I think it's totally valid to say I've certainly fallen victim to this on a few occasions. And then I've been on the other side of this, too, where it's a game that we've talked about that I've had a lot of very personal connection to that has been like integral to my childhood or something. And I'll be like, no, you don't get it, man. Like you had to be there. So I've been on both sides of it and, and being on the, 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 the latter side of this particular equation, I'll be honest. I did not initially appreciate the fact that this game is as smooth and pretty much a hundred percent flicker free as it is. And it wasn't until the two of you brought that up that I really stopped and thought about that and realized how big of a deal that actually is because being someone who played a lot of things like life force, that was just a fact of life. No pun intended that, you know, the flicker was just there. It was, it was a part of the game. The slowdown was there. I mean, I will argue as someone who's kind of shitty at these kind of games, largely speaking, the slowdown maybe was helpful at times, but that was just a fact of life. But the fact that that's just not here in this game at all is something that is noteworthy and absolutely should be praised. And I did not give it enough credit for that until just now. Yeah. I mean, the gameplay is super tight. Only major gripe that I had with it. And it's what actually put me off from blazing lasers, at least on the outset was the weapon system. And, and that's just because I didn't understand it at first. Um, I was thoroughly confused because in pretty much any other shmup that I've ever played, um, and that is not an exhaustive list by any means, it's always been a case of like power up good, pa pick up power up, 
pretty much always, right? Like this is a good thing. You should try to get it. This game doing this thing where it's like, well, you don't have as many different options. You've got like four weapons, but if you pick up the, the, the number three, and you were using the number two, then you swapped into number three and you go back to, you know, square one with it and you have to level it up. I didn't know going into the game that that is how that worked. And you know what? I'll be 100% honest. That's on me. That's on me. Like, I probably should have read the damn manual first. It's so accessible for you, uh, the manual. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's on me. And that's, that's fair. Yeah. You know, I just jumped into it. I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a shmup. I know what the fuck to do. Like, I'm just going to go in and shoot things and pick up thing, make stronger. Cool. Got it. And then I get in there and I see these numbers floating around and I'm like, well, okay, bigger numbers usually means better. So I'm just going to pick up <laughs> four. And then it just kept changing my weapon. And I'm like, what is happening? And I just, I, I stopped playing because I, I just, I didn't understand it. So once I got my head wrapped around how you're supposed to do that, it was a much better experience. I will still say I'm not the biggest fan of it though. Like I don't necessarily like having to dodge power-ups in addition to dodging the, the myriad other things trying to murder me on the screen. I'm not sure that I'm the biggest fan of that particular setup, but that's largely a personal thing. So, yeah. And that goes way back to compiles earlier games and they used to have a ton of weapons. So they simplified it for blazing lasers. You know, you uh, back in the original Lesta power strike, mm. you've got several or more, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I, I forget almost what, how high it goes. Some are great. Some suck. And there's just endless weapon types. And they even base their rank of the game on like what weapon you have and how powerful it is. So when you have a much more powerful, better weapon, like the enemies get more aggressive. Blazing lasers doesn't really do that. If anything, they simplified it and it's still a little bit complicated to kind of wrap your head around initially. Um, it doesn't explain it. And you have to read through the manual to kind of understand it. And, you know, that totally makes sense. And we, we hit on that too, that the weapon system isn't necessarily all that balanced. Right. Uh, once you know what works, then it works. Right. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm kind of sad that number two isn't as good as it probably ought to be because I really wanted to use it. <laughs> It looks cool. Well, it looks cool and it covers a lot of the screen. So it like does. a lot of people do use it. I mean, honestly, I've used it on and off and I mean, it's not that powerful, but it's, you know, it has its uses, but at some point, you know, it's just not the right weapon to have unless you want to have a harder time with it. Right. Right. It's for the challenge. That's why you, you use two is just to see if you can do it at some Be point. Be sure to only run. There you go. Now, there you go, Chris. Now that you've actually, you know, beaten it legit on original hardware, now you should do a, do a challenge run. You know, I, I did say that like the pea shooter, it, it sucks just like in almost any shooter I, I've played. Like you, you try to get away from that relatively quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. But the pea shooter is powerful. So like even with weapon four, like yeah. the pea shooter is what you're using as your weapon attack. And if, if you're using it, if you're on target, if you're, you know, shooting the area you need to attack, like you're the basic pea shooter is relatively effective. It's just you have to be a more skillful player in order for it to be good. So that's that's one of the problems that you get with a lot of those pea shooters. Yeah, that also in a weird sort of semi tangential way also just kind of reminded me of another thing that's not even necessarily a detractor, but it's just an interesting thing to note that, you know, part of it comes down to just getting the experience with the game, because like one of the things that I came across in my 
most recent playthrough, right, is I was really relying heavily on the full fire number three for a pretty good chunk of the game. And that was mostly at Chris's recommendation, which was a good one. But there were certain places like the one boss, and I can't not for the life of me recall which level it was, but where the the homing aspect of the full fire laser was actually a detriment because it just would not actually hit the right weak spots. Like it kept trying to shoot a thing that was basically invincible. And so, you know, swapping to a different weapon would have been more advantageous for that particular encounter. And so I have to imagine that at least some of that was, you know, intentional. And so that does provide a a pretty interesting amount of, you know, variety in that and, and strategy to try to determine like what the best weapon is. Now, granted, it seems like at the end of the day, it's either going to be three or four. But even with that being said, do think that that is, you know, a pretty interesting addition there, too. I think the boss you're talking about, I think, is Area 7. I think that's the tank, like, beetle-looking one, where you have to, like, almost go to the side so the laser shoots up and down if you're using full fire. Yeah, yeah, because there were, like, weak spots on what I imagine to be the equivalent of its shoulders or something. Yeah, it was just, like, Yeah, and it just would not hit it unless you got to, like, a certain spot on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. We've covered gameplay pretty well. SJ, is there anything, because you said plenty to discuss, I just want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Is there anything you wanted to discuss in terms of the gameplay that we might be missing here? Honestly, if there is, I'm not thinking of it right now. I mean, I'm, you know, there's so much to any of it. I'm, I'm sure we could go on forever if we start like nitpicking every little thing. And Oh, yeah. But just in general, I think we've covered it, you know, just the gist of what it's about pretty well. Absolutely. I think we're going to move to another positive aspect of this game, and that's how this game looks. And Shane, you haven't kicked off a section yet, at least to my recollection. So, hey, what do you think about the graphics of this game? You know, particularly, I say particularly a lot, and I can't ever nail it when I do. But especially when you compare it to, you know, other 16-bit games like in 1989, which at that point was only the Genesis, really. Yeah, I mean, what is there to say, man? I mean, the, the game, in my opinion, the game looks great. It's, it's pretty much everything that I would expect from a good shmup. And I mean, you know, based on you know, what SJ was saying earlier about how this is sort of the template for many to come. Um, you could you know, do far worse as far as foundational templates are concerned because it's flashy. It leverages the color palette really well. You know, I never really felt like I had the important bits being lost in, you know, the sea of the background imagery or anything. Like, I think they really knew what they were doing with that. I always, I mean, listen, we're a retro game show, right? So it's not surprising when we've said on multiple occasions that we're huge fans of good sprite work and there's plenty of reasons for that but at least for me personally one of the biggest ones is that good sprite artwork stands the test of time uh you know that's one of the biggest detractors in a lot of people's opinions uh from like the the early polygonal era is that they just aged like milk you know And if you got nostalgia for that, then that's a whole different story. And actually that aesthetic is coming back intentionally now in a lot of indie games, which I'm not, I'm not against. I actually kind of like that that's coming back in its own way, but it's hard to compare the two when really like, you know, really good, well done with attention to detail, 2D sprite work is, is never going to look bad. It's never going to age poorly. I think that's the case here. Like I, I really liked the graphical presentation of blazing lasers. 
You know, I think every one of the levels had something interesting going on. I liked the boss sprites. I mean, the <laughs> for us specifically, more than anything, I guess, just because of uh, a certain <clears throat> certain Ray Ray that's in our discord. Yes, <laughs> there's a particular <laughs> floating skull head uh, that is particularly iconic. So, yeah, man, no, I, I love it. I I love this kind of artwork. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I would just repeat everything you said, I think the sprite work is amazing. I think it looks really good. I think it's definitely one of the even better, you know, TurboGrafx-16 PC Engine games. And I mean, even looking at the launch lineup that they had, I wish that they would make this the launch game. I mean, you could pretty much insert any game as I wish they would make this the launch game of <laughs> TurboGrafx-16 as to as opposed to Keith Courage, uh, even though I like Keith Courage for what it's worth. But yeah, I mean, this would be a much better launch game. But like if you go to the first level, one of the things that that really impressed me and really stood out, especially for a game in 1989 is that there's there's lights on the sides of these structures that are constantly like rotating good amount of parallax scrolling but it's just that the attention to detail that they have in every single facet of the background that you didn't necessarily have to do and a lot of other game developers just didn't do with their games in general you saw happening here at blazing lasers there was a lot of like care and consideration going into the environment now, not all levels are equal. I think level two is 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 kind of again, because it goes on too long. You just have these beams that kind of just go on forever. So it becomes somewhat unimpressive. But like the amount of things that they can put on screen at the same time, especially when you get to stage three and you have all those destructible tiles on the ground, that you're just blowing up just in on mass. It's just no slowdown, no flicker, no nothing. And that's very impressive. And then you get to more of the like inside a monster or intestinal alien, whatever stuff that you get with stage four. It just shows like the variety of the, the stage environments that it could do. Uh, but again, like not everything's equal. Stage sevens feels very recycled from stage one or maybe stage eight or stage nine is like that. But either way, like that's the thing, like stage seven, one and nine are very hard to differentiate from each other. Stage eight, even though it's bubbles and that's it's iconic, there's really not much going on in terms of graphical fidelity. A lot of those things coming out of the environment aren't exactly the best looking things. But you do have that desert stage, which I think is stage five. And that looks incredible as well. So it seems to be all over the place. And when it's good, it's spectacular. But sometimes it does feel like it takes a backseat in general. But overall, like it's it's a stellar looking experience. OK, so before we get to that somewhat related and actually SJ might be able to answer this question, maybe he has some insight into this that that I don't have. And I'm not sure that you have either, Chris, but okay. it's something it keeps me up at night. Not not really, but kind of what why why is it that so many games from this particular era had this like odd obsession with like H.R. Giger-esque body horror and also <laughs> Easter Island heads. What what is the deal with that? Why are Easter Island heads in Blobs. so many games? That's a good question. I know that developers like to steal from each other a lot. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the compiled developers were obviously fans of Konami and they were fans of Gradius. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they wanted to put some Easter Island heads and that's probably as far as it goes on that side of things. Now, why did Konami decide to do Easter Island heads? That's a different question. I'm not sure if they saw it somewhere else. But once somebody starts it and it becomes like a trope, you know, then everybody starts copying it. Right. It's the same thing with aliens. You know, I think a lot of those developers, they would, you know, they were big fans of Western cinema and they would just go to the movies 
and they would enjoy it and it would give them ideas for their games. Um, that was very common. Uh, a lot of people at a tour plan, early tour plan talk about that. And, you know, they'd go to the movies and they'd see something that influenced them. Apocalypse Now influenced Hishizami um, that they made, uh, which is Flying Shark. And it's a common thing. So it's not surprising at all that, you know, you get H.R. Giger-esque type, you know, designs and Easter Island heads and who, who knows what else. And a lot of it really comes down to, hey, you know, we all went for an outing to this movie and it gave us all these cool ideas and we worked them into our game kind of thing. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, the Easter Island head thing, maybe a little less because I don't care so much about yeah, that. But that I, I, don't know. I will say I would I would like to have more like alien H.R. Giger inspired things in gaming. I feel like it's been long overdue. There have been a few. Scorn just came out, which is like unabashedly exactly that. But it's weird because like th these are these things you think about, right? Like a after you've grown up and you look back on your childhood and you're like, wow, that explains like a lot and this is one of those wait what no no, no. like just like influencing what you end up liking like as far as like art okay. or like film or or whatever and like growing up in an era where a lot of the games that i played had like even in a game where you didn't necessarily expect it had these like very alien inspired or horror inspired things or or just or especially body horror there was a lot of bio slash biomechanical stuff that made its way into like this era of gaming and it's just interesting looking back on that and seeing like oh yeah no that that actually explains a lot but anyway side tangent <laughs> well if you love body horror definitely or not body horror but just unusual things of that nature definitely check out the choaniki games if you haven't played those i have <laughs> oh i have I, I introduced him to that he had a great time did, with that yeah. one <laughs> only on pc engine oh we played on the saturn oh that was the later one yeah that came afterwards mm -hmm. there's choaniki yeah, yeah. and i choaniki originally on pc engine um and then later yeah they had the saturn one, which just kind of took it to the next level <laughs> yes <laughs> But overall, what you, how do you think of the the graphics for for Blazing Lasers here? Wow, I, I kind of mentioned it originally when we we're talking yeah. about my personal experiences. Just you know, I look at it nostalgically as it was such a jump. You know, you were both already saying coming from the NES, we weren't used to seeing that level of detail in the graphics. And sure, there's plenty of you know later CD games and Turbo games that looked better and improved upon it, but it still holds up. You know, the there's a level of artistry in the pixel art that's nice. There's a lot of movement and detail in the backgrounds. Uh, there's a lot of variety for me, you know, knowing compile, you know, they take a lot of pride in the performance of their games. And an important part of the graphics is how they perform despite the graphics. You won't find any games of theirs that don't perform nearly flawlessly. And they look down on a lot of games and developers that didn't take the time to pull that off properly and prioritize graphics over actual gameplay. So it's not just so like what you were saying with the blocks in level three, it's not so much how good it looks. It's how good it plays and performs despite how good it looks, mm. you know, for the console. So, you know, there's no slowdown to be found. There's no flicker. The ship speed is constant throughout. The frame rate doesn't dip. They proved that time and again on every console, you know, while continuing to up the graphics, you know, with Musha and the Genesis and how amazing, you know, that game looks and all the effects that they pulled off and it still performs flawlessly, you know, and then, you know, they went to the Super Nintendo that everybody dog because of how you know slow it was and how many you know games had so much slowdown you know and then they did super alesta you know and again it performs flawlessly while looking as good as it does and they said well we can do it 
So it's doable. You you guys just suck. <laughs> and that was kind. And I mean, it's true. I mean, their president Matsumitsu uh, Nitani um, said that in one of an old interviews that I was reading. It's like you know, it was shameful what some of the developers were putting out. You know, making the consoles look bad by not putting in the time into development to take advantage of the hardware. When they came into Super Lesta, it was like they almost came in to prove a point to say this can be done. Look what we can do on this console. You know, you guys just are lazy developers kind of thing, or you're not experienced enough at making shooters. And, you know, Blazing Lasers, again, is a perfect example. You know, nothing they made for NES performed poorly or the Famicom or, you know, the SMS and same goes for TurboGrafx. Honestly, one of my favorite memories and what I like most is the bubble level because of just how unique it is. You know, there's nothing crazy about it graphically. We weren't used to seeing something that colorful on a console, you know, coming from the NES. You know, the NES, I can't remember, but, you know, I think it could only do, what, 12, 16 colors on screen at the same time, something like that. that, Mm -hmm. You know, and then you get the PC Engine, which has a 512 color palette, and it can do 400 and something colors simultaneously on screen out of that palette. You know, so it was a mind-blowing jump, and they took good advantage of it. What other people, a lot of people don't notice is, you know, they're playing these games now on like an LCD or, you know, on their computer emulated. Uh, But that bubble level looks really, really cool on a CRT. This was developed for CRTs when that's all that existed. And if you play that stage in the dark or in dim light in your room on like a cool CRT with the way it glows and the way those blues and reds and the color glows, it's so cool. Seeing it that way on a real CRT is a different experience than just looking at it on like a, a modern screen that wasn't designed for. And that's probably why it's one of my favorite levels and why it's so memorable is I remember playing that game at night in the evening, you know, into the night. And that level was my always my favorite. I looked forward to it because how cool it looked, you know, in the dark on a CRT. I, I think I missed out on how cool it looked because I was too frustrated at dying all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get good, man. Yeah, well, I kicked my butt too for a while until I figured it out, but I always looked forward to yeah. getting to it because it just, you know, I, I enjoyed it for that reason. I still do. I'll, I'll still do that and play it on my CRT like, and I'll turn the lights off in my room because it's the only way it looks like that, you know, at least how I remember it on my, on my Sony. Yeah. And you know, the, the funny thing about that too, is that I, I've seen similar discussions before where people are just like incredulous about that. They, they a hundred percent do not believe that something could look better on you know a crt and then you have like these side-by-side comparisons to sort of prove that point that ultra crisp presentation is not always the best thing especially when something as you mentioned was developed specifically for that particular medium yeah something gets lost in that where a lot of sprite work if you're looking at it now you can see all the individual pixels and everything and you're like ah this doesn't look that great but then if you put that on sort of that you know warm sort of like semi fuzzy glow of a crt suddenly all those pixels sort of blend together in a way that was very very intentional and overall the presentation ends up being that much better and it's just it's interesting you know that you bring that up because like i said i've seen that pop up a number of times and it's something that can be hard to describe if you know if you if you weren't there or if you're not able to like kind of see that difference. Yeah. And another strength of CRTs is their black levels. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they have a contrast and a black level that, you know, modern displays are just now or recently in recent times have even begun to equal. Mm-hmm. There's a benefit to these like basic black backgrounds that existed then that don't so much exist now on an LCD. 
again, when you have the lights off and you're watching it on a CRT and that background is truly black, like black. And then you have those blue and, you know, pink and red, you know, bubbles superimposed on that. It just makes them pop that much more. Oh yeah. Where it doesn't so much on a modern display, you know, you know, that's what they were known for. So you get games with these kind of seemingly basic, boring or black starry backgrounds, but it looked really, it looked a lot better on a CRT than it does in a modern display. I will say my only regret with this, with the TurboGrafx-16, because I don't have a CD attachment for my TurboGrafx-16, nor do I have a Turbo Booster. So the only way to play this on a CRT for me at the moment is with RF, which, by the way, it looks really good out of a TurboGrafx-16 for RF. Yeah, the Turbo had a good RF and it had a good composite, too. Yeah, it like it looks... Like if you go anywhere and people say, oh, RF is trash. And I do understand it's the lowest quality video signal that you can get. Like coming out of a TurboGrafx-16, I thought it was going to be a lot worse when I, you know, playing it recently. And no, it looks, it still looks good. Uh, It really surprised me about how good it looks. I wish I did have composite, uh, a way to play it that way. Currently, I just don't. But like. I, I, I'm not sure I really need to substitute it. It definitely does the job. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm playing on an RGB modded duo and, you know, imagine what that looks like. But yeah, when I was 12, I was playing on RF, too. And back then, we, they'd look great to us. You know, even though we, it was a, still a poor quality signal back then compared to, you know, what they had in Japan with SCART. You know, it's not like everybody was using RF. It's just here in the United States, we were unlucky enough to have RF and composite shoved down our throat. And, you know, we never saw a SCART, you know, and we didn't really get that level of video until at least S video or, or component. Right. Yeah. I was, I was going to make the comment about that too, because that was, that was my experience with that. It was like, I, you know, SJ, you mentioned that earlier about, I think it was about the graphics specifically where you're just like, yeah, you know, well, when you're a kid, you don't, give a shit about like graphics necessarily or like the the, the fidelity of the it. fidelity of the graphics specifically i should clarify that or or like the gameplay mechanics or whatever like if you're having fun that's all that matters and it was the same thing with that where do, do you know how long i played things like the super nintendo on just a basic ass like rf cable i didn't know any better <laughs> i didn't know any different i was just like yeah this is how you hook up a super nintendo like Daisy chain that shit through your VHS. Man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I will say even as a kid, I was just like, man, this is such a pain in the ass trying to screw this thing onto my TV all the time. But yeah, no, I, it, you know, we didn't know any better and we still thought that this stuff looked amazing. All of that to say, clearly think things were better back in the day. There you go. That's our old man soapbox <laughs> <Obviously>. moment. Uh, so we're going to the last, uh, last section here in terms of presentation, in terms of the music and sound direction, I'm just going to be brief the, the soundtrack's really good. It's a shooter. Why would it not be Uh standout tracks for me in this game are definitely stage one, four and, and nine. Uh, I, I, I think the rest of the soundtracks, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like they're bad. They're not, but the rest of the tracks in this game are just kind of for a shmup average. But, you know, for a shmup, that's still really good. I, I'm going to repeat myself again, but I can't really complain. Even the sound itself, I, I do like the sounds. There's a, a really good audio cues. I wish there were audio cues when your enemies fired lasers at you sometimes because those lasers can come out of nowhere and they can be fast and they are deadly. But in terms of how you get hit, like when you get downgraded, you hear that king unless you know that, yeah, you have get hit because sometimes those bullets can be hard to see. 
if you're not paying attention to everything, it does let you know, hey, now you're getting downgraded. There are plenty of times when that happened yeah. in my playthrough. <laughs> for the most part, it's really good. Sound direction's fine. Soundtrack's great. What do you all think? I am team level nine track, personally. I mean, I, I like them all. I think they're all pretty great, but I, I think nine is my standout. It's it's basically a, it's like a thrash metal song. So I'm I'm all yeah. for that. Did I say three or four? Because I meant four. You said one, four, and nine. Yeah. Yeah, four. Definitely four. Yeah. What do you think, SJ? Oh, well, <laughs> I, I do like a lot of the music in the game. Um, if you're going to ask me for my standout tracks, I definitely like stage four a lot, too. Um, nine, obviously, is it's fantastic. I actually also like stage six, I believe, the ice stage, just because it, I like the tune of it and I like the speed of that level, even though it's kind of a oh, basic level. Great, yeah. But what's most impressive to me about the music or just the sound in blazing lasers more so than the music which you know i said i i do like it it's not the best of all like that genre soundtracks but it is quite good the use of the sampling and the instrumentation and the sound effects because there's things that they do in blazing lasers as an early game that almost no other developer managed to copy or do as well or do better like for the rest of the life of the pc engine they implemented bass in both the music and the explosions and the sound effects in a way that the PC Engine Hue card games rarely ever did. Mm. You know, one of the things that I love about PC Engine games is they always had such great music and great chip tunes, and it was very melodic. Like, I just love the soundtracks as a whole across the entire library. But one thing that was always an Achilles heel of the PC Engine was the sound effects. You know, they were often too loud. They weren't balanced with the rest of the music. A lot of times they sounded very tinny or cheap. Developers just did not, very often did not do a good job figuring out how to use that hardware to its potential. And Compile did it. Like the explosions in Blazing Lasers sound great, like you guys mentioned. But the bass, then the there's almost no other soundtrack on BC Engine that has that kind of quality bass. Like Stage Four, for example, it's almost headbanging type bass. <laughs> yes. Again, it was so impressive coming from the NES. Like, wow, I've never heard sound like this, you know, from a console before. It's not, it's almost kind of what came after it. You know, I, I expected that all music would be that way and all sound effects would be that way, but Blazing Lasers still has some of the best sampling and sound effects on a Hue card game of the entire library, despite it being so early. They pulled off those types of sounds and effects better than almost anyone else ever did for the generation of the console. So that's what's most impressive to me about it. And it's memorable. And they continue to reuse and recycle those effects too in other games, you know, into like you play Super Elasta and you're like, oh, I know that sound. Oh, I know that sound. I mean, it's kind of nostalgic because you're used to the lasers sounding that way and the explosion sounding that way. Um, it's pretty neat. But yeah. So anyway, that's my, that's what always sticks in my mind about Blazing Lasers sound is their use of like the lower frequencies and the bass and the percussion. You know, I think that's the word I was looking for. The music and the sound effects have a level of percussion that yes. consoles never had. And most PC Engine Hue card games didn't have um, until, you know, CD came along. And that's one thing I love about it. It gives Blazing Lasers its character, I guess, is how percussion heavy a lot of the sound is. Also, this discussion around the, the music and sound just reminded me that actually, I don't know if you recall this, Chris, but I believe that was actually my introduction to Blazing Lasers was you shared one of the tracks from the OST with me because you were like, yeah, this track, this, this soundtrack is, is awesome. It was for a flight. It was when we did uh, best uh, level ending jingles. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. 
It was like because I, I like how it ends and just kind of has this machine gun sound. Like SJ was saying, like the percussion, it sounds like it sounds like metal, like shooting off. Mm. And I, you don't really hear that in a lot of PC engine games or even games doing it really effectively in the 16 bit generation itself. Yeah. Yeah. It might've been that. I think you had, there was something prior to even us doing that flight that I think you had shared with me. There was just one of the stage tracks or something. And that was just like, I think that was my first introduction to it. It was just like how good the music was. <laughs> right. Right. It might've been stage four because it would always be stage four. That would show. Yeah. Also just as a side thing, but stage three always makes me think of street fighter. It, it sounds like a B-side street fighter track. I have to go back and listen to it. Yeah, and I actually like stage three too. I like, you know, two is a yeah. little meh. I'm not hot on it, but like you said, stage one is a great track. Stage three is a cool track. Um, at least I enjoy it. Four is awesome. Um, I even like the stage five track. You know, it's got like that electronic vibe to it. Mm. It's not the best tune, but I, you know, I get into it and then it starts to have that uh, like hum that goes in the background. And I don't know, it, I don't need, it's not really even an instrument at that point. You know, they're just sampling different <laughs> things and coming up with like cool electronic sounds that they're working into it. But there's not too many tracks that I dislike. You know, the bubble stage has a really weird soundtrack. You know, it's not a good tune. And some people are like, what kind of music is this? <laughs> but at the same time, it's like memorable now. And it almost kind of matches the level in a way. You know, Shane, Shane made a great point when he was playing through it recently on our stream is he was like, with all the chaos that's going on in the bubble level, to have a song that's more, I guess laid back isn't the right word, but more calm, it's really a contrast that really works well if you want to take that into the bubble level. Because it's not intense, it's not fast, but like the bubbles are coming at you fast. And the, the way you have to move your ship around, when the bubbles are expanding and collapsing and making sure that uh, you're avoiding everything correctly. Like the soundtrack doesn't match that. It's very offsetting. And, but in a way that does make for an effective level and effective gameplay. It creates like a cool atmosphere for the, for the stage too, because it has such a unique sound. I mean, I can't even replicate. It's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. where did they come up with that? <laughs> and it, like, how did they make a song out of that? And, you know, now, and there's no other game that's ever really done that before or since, you know, like it was just unique and unusual. And, now, when I hear that, you know, I think of exploding, blowing space bubbles. It did. That's what it sounds like. To me. All right. So I think that well, I think we've covered most of the miscellaneous just through our conversation anyway, in regards to like the movie, how it relates to compile, what other projects have been going on. But there's any sort of fun facts or random trivia that you might have, SJ, that you just like off the top of your head. Hmm. That's what really what the miscellaneous is for. That's a good question. Yeah, I kind of mentioned a little bit with like the the secrets that they baked in um, with the odd bosses and being able to time them out and, you know, getting a, a load of like extra lives and things like that. I know that when you play it on hard mode, you get a different song in the ending, you know, as, as like a little piece of trivia. It's when, when you're not playing a normal dog. Oh, you also need a code to access the hard mode. It's not just natural. And it's like they, they give it to you the it's like select B A B A B A. Yeah, and it, it kind of flashes that code on you at the end when you beat it on the normal mode. Yeah. Um and, and how to use it at the you know at the start of the game. And now I'm blanking on what that code is off the top of my head. But it's like when you're watching through the end credits on the first game, like it flashes these buttons on you back and forth, and you're like, what's that? And then, and then eventually you try it. Oh, that's what that was. Yeah. Okay. No. So I saw that when I was, cause we were, we wrapped up the playthrough and I was just kind of letting the credits roll. And then I saw that and I was like, is that, what was that? Was that a quick time event? 
was that the first QuickTime event? Did I miss it? And Chris was like, I have no idea. I've never seen that. So that's what that was. Okay. That explains a lot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there is actually a cool piece of trivia that popped into my head now that we were talking about it uh, with the end credits in the game. There are some extra modes that people don't know about it because it did not come with the original Gunhead and Blazing Lasers. But mm. you're familiar with like the caravans that they used to have in Japan, like the big shooting competitions yes. every year that Hudson would hold. Mm. Gunhead was the very first 16-bit caravan game after they finished off with like Star Soldier and Hector 87. Compile made a dedicated score tech mode. Uh, for those competitions and it's not on the hue card you have to have a special gunhead special edition hue card that was used just for those contests um to be able to play that game you can download it now obviously there's a rom and you can check it out but it's like that typical two minute you know five minute score attack mode where they use in the contest and it's not as refined as what came after it with the soldier games but it's just a kind of like a cool piece of trivia and and something to mess around with that wasn't on the original card in any form that I have ever seen. All right, Keaton, you heard that for next month's high score challenge. So <laughs> there you go. We'll do We're good. We're good to do that for June. Yeah, it throws you into stage three, basically, for a certain amount of time. And, you know, you rack up the highest score that you can. I would love that. I'm, I'm looking forward to that already. I'm nominating that. Shane, you better nominate it, too. We're doing, <laughs> we're doing a caravan for Blazing Lasers. I can't speak for its depth because I've never gotten too into it for whatever reason, because I didn't even know it existed back then. I mean, I didn't play it until much later. You know, the soldier games, whether it's Superstar Soldier, Final Soldier, or Soldier Blade have absolutely phenomenal caravan modes. They're just insanely good and deep. And, you know, there's a lot of information about them online on like how to high, how to get the bonuses, you know, what the highest scores are, that kind of stuff. Gunhead's almost a mystery. Like there's almost no info out there on it. Like we just don't know. We don't know how good or bad it was or how deep it was. Like, it's something that really needs exploring. Okay. So someday maybe I'll hold a contest with that. We'll suss it out and see how it stacks up. So speaking about how things stack up. Wow. I think this is a great time. up for you. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, SJ. That, That worked out perfectly. We can talk about whether or not this game holds up today. As customary, myself and Shane will go first and then our guest will give the final word. Shane, do you want to kick this one off? Sure. I can do that. Does blazing lasers hold up today without pontificating too much? I'm, I'm going to say, you know what? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, I, we, listen, we talked a lot about accessibility, right? And it's one of the things that I think causes people to shy away from shmups is just that sort of uh, assumed difficulty curve. And it's definitely not that it's not present here because it is. And like you said, it, it, when it hits, it hits. But I think it does a pretty good job of onboarding people who are maybe not, uh, you know, as familiar with the genre and, uh, you know, I'm definitely in that camp. So I, like I said before, I appreciate that it does that, you know, there's a reason that it's held in such high regard by most people who are familiar, you know, with the genre as a whole is, you know, as, as SJ mentioned, it, it is sort of like the template for a lot of what came afterwards. And is it rough around some of the edges because of that? Sure. But, you know, by and large, like I said, even though there were definitely moments where I was losing it a little bit and maybe wanted to throw a controller overall, as far as as shmup experiences go, this this is definitely worth the time. So. So, yeah, I I would definitely recommend it, especially if you're someone that, you know, has gotten into the genre and maybe hasn't gone back and played, you know, some of these uh, some of the older titles, you could definitely do 
a lot worse. I would even I would argue that maybe in some cases you would be hard pressed to do better if you're talking about contemporaries and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, I absolutely think it holds up. I'm just yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, it absolutely holds up today. This is more of a gateway shmup, in, in my opinion. Like, this is what you would do if, like, there's this YouTuber who, who constantly, like, has, like, yeah, like a shooter crack pipe, I think. And if, if you would hit the shooter crack pipe, this is the entry drug <laughs> in order to do this. Thank you for using that term that I coined two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. This is what you do. And this is a fantastic game. If you're if you're into the retro palette, if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you're listening to our show. I'm assuming that you are like if you're on the fence about shmups, because I know a lot of people are on the fence about shooters. Uh, they're, they're rather difficult. It's it's rather inaccessible. This is the kind of game that will get you into shooters or at least will let you know whether or not you want to continue to pursue that genre, because, yeah, those those first three levels will really ease you into it and will make you want to get better and better as you struggle through levels four through nine because you're you're going to struggle initially if you, you haven't been playing a lot of them but for the more initiated and dedicated like there's some challenge at the end of the game if you've never played this game before just overall it's an ease in kind of game i won't want to say easy because it's not uh, more towards the end but it is a game that will definitely ease you in and has that difficulty spike that you will experience and it'll be a lot of fun. I know I feel like I'm rambling at this point because I'm just trying to fill in words to say yes, <laughs> because I do feel this game definitely holds up. It's my favorite shmup of all time. It's my favorite shooter that I've ever played. So I'm not going to say no. It like we've discussed the criticisms, but to me, it's it's the perfect shooter to just get into and play. So that's that's my piece. So over to the the YouTuber that talks about the shooter crack pipe. <laughs> SJ, what do you think? Well, it's like you said, uh, the gateway shmup is a perfect term to describe it. It's what got a lot of people hooked on the shooter crack pipe. If you're a beginner or you're a casual player, or you're not someone that's really into shmups, then absolutely it holds up. I can say that from anecdotal experience because I've introduced that game to so many people over the last you know few years. And for the vast majority of them that have not really got been into shooters or shmups or not played anything on the turbo graphics before they really had a good time with it you know i rarely had someone come back and say oh no, i didn't like that guy yeah, couldn't play it or i couldn't get into it or whatever it was always a very positive response and you know these are younger people that have never played it before or played the turbo graphics and aren't necessarily shmup fanatics so it holds up in the sense that it can still have the effect um, the same effect on modern players, new modern players, players that are new to the genre that it did back then. It still does the same thing. And it got them into shooters. I had a lot of people play it. And all of a sudden, once they played that and enjoyed it, they're like, OK, what can I play next? I want to play something just like it. I had so much fun with this. You know, what do I play next? Well, how about Soldier Blade? You know, how about, you know, X, Y, Z? It definitely holds up in that sense. If you're an experienced shmup player, you know, you're someone that's already playing cave games and bullet hell and things like that. and you've and you're into that more modern type, it's hard for a lot of them to go backwards. You know, I've seen that too, you know, because they're already indoctrinated into what they prefer in a shmup and, you know, playing modern shmups. They're experienced players. So it's not that it doesn't hold up in their sense. It's more that it's, you know, they've kind of left it behind and it's a little too simple for them to go back to and have too much fun with because they've already progressed so far and they're not going to have a nostalgia for it. But again, that's, 
not here or there. It's more of a, a niche viewpoint because, again, shmups, especially difficult shmups and bullet hells, are much more a niche than anything else. Blazing Lasers holds up as a game, period. Not a shmup, but just a game that anyone can play. Someone younger can play and pick up, and that would get them into the genre that they would enjoy that much. So obviously, I wasn't going to say no. I was going to say yes, it absolutely holds up. It's been improved. It's been refined. There are much better versions of it now, but that doesn't mean that it's still not one of the best of its kind and still great for entry level players. So I still recommend it to a lot of people that are not confident playing uh, shoot 'em ups. This will definitely put them on the right track. All right. Well, there we have it. I guess it's unanimous then. As if there was any question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I suppose with that, that uh, brings our blazing lasers discussion to a close. So first and foremost, we always want to thank our most esteemed guests. So SJ, thank you for joining us here. It was an absolute pleasure. You're welcome. And I always enjoy talking about these games, so I'm happy to do it. And speaking of you yeah, talking thanks, about these games, we, we always like to make sure that our guests get a chance to uh, to plug what it is that they do out there on the Internet. So uh, where can the folks at home find your content? It's funny. No matter how many times I get asked this question, I've never become very good at plugging my channel or myself <laughs> or what I do. It's just not something I like think about or or do very often, I guess. I'm a U- YouTuber, I guess they call it. I, I make videos. I specialize in the genre of shooters, shoot 'em ups, shmups, whatever you like to call them. <laughs> and I have a dedicated channel for it. Uh, my channel is not just shoot 'em up specific. Even though I love, you know, shoot 'em ups and I play them a bunch, it's not all I play, so I don't want to pigeonhole myself. So my channel also covers a lot of older NES Famicom games, but mostly it's all based around arcade style, older retro action. You know, whether it's you know, run and guns or shoot 'em ups or platformers. Um, you know, I like to cover very rare and unusual games. You know, I've made a lot of videos recently about really, really good, you know, run and guns, platformers, other shoot 'em ups across different arcades and consoles that people have just never played or heard of before. And everyone's really enjoying that series because they get to discover all these new games that, wow, I, how did I never hear about this game? It looks so good. Now I have to go play it. <laughs> so I focus on shoot 'em ups, I expand a little bit into the direction of what I know my audience is into because my audience also loves arcade style games and and run and guns and and platforms and things of that nature. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, My channel is Shmup Junkie. If you Google it, if you search for it on YouTube, it'll come right up. I'm blown away by how well it's done over just, just over a couple of years when I started. Didn't expect to be where I am and it's just a hobby. I do it for fun. I do it when I have free time. I really enjoy it. I have a good time with it and I hope to continue doing it as long as I am able. Uh, and I, I didn't think that's that. Fantastic. Yeah. So uh, everybody, you you heard him. Go go over there. And you know what? We even made this yeah. easy for you because it's in our show notes. So yes. go and click that link and uh, go give Shmup Junkie that, uh, that juicy subscribe because he uh, definitely deserves it. And well, more importantly, just check out and watch the videos and enjoy them. I make them for everyone to enjoy. And I hope people do. Yeah, fantastic channel, too. Fantastic channel. All right. As far as we are concerned, well, if you uh, are listening to this, then that means you have found us. So hello. Welcome. 
If this is your first time here, then we hope you enjoyed your stay and uh, enough at least to stick around for a few because, you know, we man, have we have we got a backlog for you? I, I keep saying this, but it's still just it's blowing my mind that we are creeping ever closer to that big 200. And uh, I, I never thought that we would get there, but here we are years later where we're still loving what we're doing. It's so wild. we've got plenty of content for you. And you know what? If you would like to support the show uh, and get even more content, uh, it's, if you can believe that it is there, please feel free to go to our link tree. That's where all the goodies are at. So just head to linktree slash retro hangover. That's L I N K T R dot E E slash retro hangover and uh, click the handy dandy little button of your choice. And if that happens to lead you to our Patreon, well, that is where you can find all of the, the, the bevy of bonuses that await you. Um, we have several years of bonus content there at this point. It's just waiting for you right there. So for as little as a dollar, you can get in on that action. And we would, uh, of course, be forever grateful. And for those of you who do not do that, we love you too. It doesn't matter because I can tell you what, we're not in this for the money. That's for damn sure. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we, we're here because just like SJ, we, we love what we're doing. So um, if you're just sticking around and, and listening to what we've got for you, then we love you too. And we've got plenty of other things for you. You can check out our socials. That's all there at the link tree. You can check out the YouTube channel that we have where we post the, uh, the video versions of all of these podcasts, as well as the, uh, the VODs from our Twitch streams, which uh, Chris is, as he is in fact, want to do. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that. So, so Chris, what do we do over at Twitch? Yeah, if you head over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover and you happen to just have nothing going on at 9 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday nights. Hey, we'll be there at that channel at twitch.tv slash retro hangover playing a game. Who knows what you might run into? You might see me rage quitting Super Mario Brothers 3 or Shane just yelling at missiles following him <laughs> in blazing lasers. I did nothing to or them. getting scared. I maintain I did nothing wrong. You did nothing wrong. However, they wanted to do wrong to you. So it all balances itself out at the end. But you can see these experiences if you head over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover at 9 p.m. Eastern time on Sundays. So we hope to see you there. Back to you, Shane. Lovely. And you know what? I think that might be the best sell for our Twitch channel that you've made so far. It's just like, hey, you know what? You literally have nothing better to do. (laughs) We are there just waiting for you. Uh, well, in any case, probably about time that we uh, hit the big old red button on this one and call it a day. So, uh, until next time, play with your getting your gun ahead joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. 
Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's bit.ly slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.